Thank you for joining us today during Fraud Week. We are excited to be joined by Eva Velasquez, who is the president and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center. Welcome, Eva. Oh, thank you so much for being here and for covering this important topic. I, I just love it when we keep this top of mind, and, and International Fraud Awareness Week is a, is a great reason for us to be having this conversation. Yes, I definitely agree. I know we've crossed paths many times, us, our organization, um, as well as you and some members from your staff. So I'm always excited when we can come together and talk about something that we know is super important. Before we go too far in, tell me and our our listeners a little bit about you and your role and the history of the Identity Theft Resource Center. Well, the Identity Theft Resource Center has been around for almost 20 years. We'll be celebrating that anniversary next year. And our primary focus is a one-on-one victim assistance. We do that through a variety of platforms, through our call, toll-free call center, our live chat on our website. We even have an app that was funded by the Department of Justice, Office of Victims of Crime. We want to make sure that when folks have an identity crime incident, and it can be more than identity theft, it, mm-hmm. scams and fraud, privacy issues, cybersecurity questions, they all intersect the, the bigger fraud problem. And so our advisors are equipped to respond and provide very targeted remediation plans. One of the biggest struggles that victims have is not knowing where to start, not knowing how to quantify or categorize their experience, and so we take that that guesswork out of it. In addition to that, over the years, we've also seen that there's such a need for this proactive education. Really, you know, bring attention to this issue to let folks know how impactful and important fraud and identity crimes can be in their lives. And so we do a lot of education and research in that area and and things like this, just having a conversation with you and educating your listeners on what the real issues are and then, of course, how they can minimize the risks. Yeah, it seems like it's almost becoming imperative to know this information. It is imperative. It This is the world that we live in, and we have to shift our thinking about the value of our data and our identities. They are just as valuable as gold, as a mm-hmm. cash in the bank. Your data is valuable, and it's not just your data. It's even your kids' data. Yeah. Kids' identities are very valuable to thieves. So you recently released the preliminary results of your aftermath survey. And this is a survey that explores the non-economic impacts of identity theft. And we often think about just your data being stolen. Somebody hacks your card, you lose some money, you file a report, and that's it. And then you move forward. But that's really not the extent of what happens. So what are some of those emotional, psychological, and physical impacts that you have discovered and been able to shine a light on? Well, there are there are too many to list in this podcast. So yeah. I would really encourage people to, to if they're interested, to uh, read the whole survey. We've done this for dec- over a decade. We survey the folks that we've helped in the previous year and ask them more than just, as you said, how much money did you lose and how much time did you spend? And we've seen that there are behavioral, emotional, physical, and then downstream effects. There are these long-term pervasive effects that victimization brings. Far and away, what has been really consistent over the years is a feeling of powerlessness, anxiety, a loss of trust. In fact, it was uh, almost 70% told us that they they felt like they could not trust others and they felt unsafe. 
83% felt violated, and 67% had that sense of powerlessness or helplessness. And those emotions have such a huge impact, not only on the individual victim's life, but also how they engage with the outside world. So this yeah. is a big wake-up call for businesses. Anyone that has customers yeah. <laughs> and is engaging with consumers needs to pay attention to this information. It's almost like the effects of having your home broken into or being held at gunpoint. It stays with you. It absolutely does. The effects are similar. And there are studies by the Bureau of Justice Statistics where they compare some of the aftermath for victims of violent crimes versus financial crimes. We have this notion in our head that a financial crime, an economic crime, an identity crime, it just really isn't that big of a deal. We tend to go, oh, it's just a nuisance. And nothing could be further from the truth. It has long-term pervasive effects on people. And one of the biggest challenges that we have is that the, our system, the, the way that we handle these types of cases in law enforcement, in remediation, the, the process is very fractured. And we make people report this experience over and over and over to multiple entities and organizations. Can you imagine if we treated violent crime victims that way? Yeah. Can you imagine if we said someone who was a victim of an assault or a, a you were just mentioning a robbery in your home. What about a, a, a home invasion robbery? If we made them report that experience 20, 25 times, we would never subject people to that kind of trauma. We do it all the time. It's par for the course with identity theft and financial crimes victims. You can't imagine not reporting, you know, a home invasion, but a lot of people just simply don't report crimes of identity theft because it's so much of a hassle. Partially a hassle, but also we're still learning how to categorize those experiences as a, as a culture. If someone breaks into your home, ties you up and, and steals your belongings at, at gunpoint or knife point or something like that, you know what that is. You're like, help, I have been robbed. With some of the identity crimes, because they're so, they're so tricky and there's a little more nuance as to what happened, a lot of folks don't even know how to categorize what they're experiencing with things like medical identity theft, where your identity is used by a thief to obtain medical goods or services, even prescriptions, and that includes things like durable medical equipment, you know, wheelchairs and, and oxygen tanks. People look at that and go, I know something is amiss here. I know this isn't right and shouldn't be done, but they don't go, wow, I'm a victim of medical identity theft and I know right where to go to get help. That's a great point. What are some of the consequences significant to companies who may only focus on the financial impact of identity theft and data breaches? What would you tell them? I would just tell them that that's a good start. At least you're focused on the fact that this can happen to your organization and you're taking some steps. But you really do need to remember that behind all of these, this data, behind each incident, there is a person that's being affected. And, and that sounds like a, a very simplistic mind shift, but it's so powerful. Even fraud investigators, the people whose sole job is just, I'm, I'm going to you know, find the money, find the bad guy, I'm going to resolve this one occurrence, this instance. We have to, as professionals doing that work, we have to categorize these things that way, and that's important. But we also have to remember there's a person who is very likely being affected by many other incidents that you're not working on or that you're not a part of. So you are one of many pieces of their identity that they are trying to remediate. And 
three minutes of compassion to just understand and listen that this is affecting them uh, in a very adverse way goes a long way. People want to be heard and they, they want someone to understand how traumatic this is for them. And the more you brush it off and go, please, I just need to get to the facts. I just need yeah. to resolve this one issue and move forward. I understand why. We're all busy. We have many. There's so much fraud. We have to investigate it. But you'll actually save yourself time in the long run because you won't be butting against them trying to meet that need and inserting yeah. that into the conversation. And I say that from a place of direct experience. In my, in my previous life before coming to the Identity Theft Resource Center, I worked for the prosecutor's office. I conducted white-collar crime and economic crimes investigations. I dealt with the victims uh, on a regular basis. And I, I did find that challenge when I was doing my work. They needed more hand-holding. They wanted to talk about how this was affecting them. My role was to go get the bad guy. So one, I would have to step back and at least take a minute to acknowledge that but then also provide them with resources like the Identity Theft Resource Center to help shore that up. Say, I can't help you to get through this emotional impact, but here's some place that can. Do you think there's also some comfort in organizations or their employees knowing that their management, their executives are taking action and doing something about it at the at the top level with, you know, proactive training and and just making employees aware. Oh, absolutely. I, I know that that is certainly the case here at the ITRC. And when I've talked with other folks, particularly in large organizations, where they can feel like I'm proud of my company that actually takes these proactive steps because I know we're not making the problem worse. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that this is a huge problem, but when we have institutions that are taking those steps forward and treating their employees like people and saying, we are going to give you the tools and the resources to help be a part, be one of the good guys and be a part of this fight, that absolutely trickles down into their communication with, with everyone, with the outside world with the victims that they're helping, with the other organizations that they have to work with in order to, you know, finish, resolve their cases. Back to your aftermath survey, I kind of want you to tell our listeners a little bit about maybe your, uh, your take on some of the key findings and what was revealed that you are most excited about sharing. I think I'd like to focus on the, the key finding about the dissatisfaction levels. It's Disappointing, but exciting in the sense that we are pinpointing some of the things that we can really be active about and potentially resolve. We had very, very high dissatisfaction levels reported back from the victims from just about every entity that they had to interact with, from law enforcement to the financial institutions, even to the Federal Trade Commission. And what that really tells me and, and how that speaks to me is that our, our work is not yet done. And we need to work on more holistic processes. Things like this conversation that we're having, things like your organization bringing all of these people together just to talk about best practices and the way to handle the problem, the way to interact with each other behind the scenes so that the victims aren't left doing all of this legwork. I think that's very powerful. And that's a conversation that I want to continue to further because I, I truly think that that is what is going to increase their satisfaction levels. One, being heard 
and, and two, feeling like, okay, it's not just company X, it's the entire industry. You know, when I was talking about the emotional impact, feeling violated, feeling unsafe, powerless or hopeless, a loss of trust, this pervasive loss of trust in the institutions that are supposed to protect them, which have now demonstrably failed them, that doesn't just impact your business. That impacts your entire industry, and it also impacts the platforms that we use. So if people are somehow harmed when they're engaging online, doing online banking or maybe online shopping, they carry that with them and they disengage. Mm -hmm. So that affects everyone that's trying to exist in this online ecosystem, sell their products, provide their business through those platforms. People turn back and go, I can't do this anymore because the last time I got burned, so I'm just not going to go there. If they were more satisfied with how these things are handled, I don't think they would disengage at these high levels. You know, everyone makes mistakes, but how you handle them and how they're treated, that has a a significant impact on whether or not they come back. That's so true. And I think we can attest to that just by, you know, if you look at headlines from the past year or two and how different companies have handled different data breaches or even dealing with fraud, it's how they handle it that's important, you know, and how they come back. Transparency, pro, if they're being proactive, if they're saying if owning up to an error was made, a mistake was made, Here's what we're doing to help you. Here's what we're doing to ensure that this doesn't happen again. That is very meaningful to people. How do you think fraud examiners, anti-fraud professionals, investigators can use this type of information when working with their executives or even their clients? I think the aftermath study actually opens up the door for the conversation. It's a great tool for folks to pass on to their leadership and say, hey, did you hear about this? Have you read about these long-term impacts? This is a problem for people. Do we care about people? <laughs> Not just our customers, but people in general? If so, can we be a part of the solution here and, and not perpetuating the problem. I have received very positive feedback from the decision makers and the leaders that we give this survey to going, wow, I, I didn't really realize how impactful these incidents were to the individuals who have been violated. And now that I know that, I can act accordingly. Tell us what you foresee in 2019. Where do you see us going? And, you know, GDPR rolled out this year overseas. Uh, do you see something similar to that happening? You know, California just did their own kind of yeah. version. But, you know, what's on the horizon? Yes, as far as regulations go and frameworks go, I, I do see more of that coming down the pike. Now, I'm not sure if if our country is well, we're ready for it, but I'm not sure that we will be able to pass that kind of legislation, comprehensive national legislation at this juncture. Mm -hmm. As you said, California just passed a pretty comprehensive privacy bill that has a lot of security, data security implications as well. And I think that at the state level, we're going to start seeing more and more of that. That's sort of the cycle. We will see states pick up the mantle, and then slowly but surely, other states will 
do the same, and then eventually we will be able to have something that uh, it becomes a patchwork, which is unfortunate for the consumers or victims that live in the states that don't have the legislation. But then eventually we get together and say, no, we need to provide this for all consumers. And a great example of that is the recent legislation that was passed for freezing your credit report for free. That was done on a state-by-state -state basis. Different people, different populations had that available to them, but it wasn't universal across the entire country. And now, because of the state of data breaches and the fact that they're becoming more high profile and people are starting to understand how a compromise of their data can affect them and it's giving them, causing them great anxiety, they, they stood up and said, we, we need this to be, something needs to be done about this. And now credit freezes are free for anyone, and that includes children. That's wow. a big, big deal, big deal. And I, so I see more activism in this area com certainly coming down the pike. I don't think we'll have a national law yeah. in the near future. You mentioned children again. Tell us why that's so important and why checking your children's ident or their credit reports and focusing on that is important right now. I'm, I am a parent. I understand. Uh, it's not necessarily top of mind when you think of all of the things that you need to protect your children from, but I want to make it very clear. This is a tremendous problem for children. It can have a huge impact. And I'll, I'll give you an example. If a young person, high school senior, is trying to launch and wants to further their education, they go ahead and they fill out their FAFSA and they're applying for student aid or student loans, and they can't get it because of an identity theft issue that's been going on behind the scenes for years, it can take them a long time to clean that up. And whether it's a semester or a full year, before they can get that cleaned up and then get the dollars that they need, that student loan that they need in order to pursue that higher education, they are a year behind their peers in perpetuity. They yeah. never get that back. That affects their career goals, their earning potential throughout their lifetime, that is a lost opportunity cost that we don't have, truly have the metrics to measure, and yet we don't think about it. So I, I don't want to fear monger or, or scare parents, but I do want to spurn them into action. This is a real problem, but there are things that you can do about it. As you mentioned, you can now check their credits and you can freeze it for free. And you can thaw it when they're ready. And it's a great teachable moment as you go through that process and talk to them about that. Because teaching them to protect their identity and identity credentials is a crucial part of parenting and teaching children how to be adults in this world. It's part of our parenting now. It is. It absolutely is. Just like wearing a seatbelt. And holding, looking both ways before you cross the street and holding my hand and teach them how to be physically safe. But we still have a little bit of this notion that if they're in our homes, in their bedroom, in the evening, they're safe. But not if they've got a device in that room, they're not. Just like being out in, in the real world. And we have to have that, that mindset that, if they've got their phone or their tablet or their computer or even their video games that have an online interface, that's just like them not being under your roof. There, there are dangerous consequences to their behavior online, just like in the real world. And we have to equip them to handle that. 
No, so true. Right now, we are in the middle of International Fraud Awareness Week, and I wanted you to share one story. I know it's hard to pick just one, but one story that you think would move listeners to take more precautions with their data. A story that comes to mind that people hear, they're like, oh, okay, now I need to do something. We've got our ear to the ground. We are hearing from people every single day, but I very recently had a close personal friend of mine call me and talk to me about his identity theft victimization and, and how his information was compromised. And it just really brings it home that you have got to treat your data and the data that you create just as the most valuable currency that you have, in, to a degree even more valuable than the cash that you have in the bank. He carried his laptop in, a, in his briefcase. He had his laptop password protected, encrypted, lots of very robust antivirus software. He really, very robust precautions with the laptop. But he backed up his data on thumb drives. And he kept those thumb drives in his briefcase, thinking, I'll never lose my briefcase. It's always with me. They weren't encrypted. They were open to anybody. So he just created this, this pathway. Even though the laptop wasn't usable, was a brick. The thumb drives were in there. And he came home from work one day and his dog was out. And he was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go get my dog. And ended up accidentally leaving his laptop in his car in his driveway. And it was car was broken into, briefcase was gone the next morning. Had those thumb drives been gold coins or diamonds or just cash, do you think he would have carried them in his briefcase? And do you think he would have remembered to get them out of the car? I yeah. think so. I yeah. think if you knew that you had gold ingots in your briefcase, yeah. you might be like, oh, where are they? I've got to get that. And now he is unfortunately has a very persistent thief or group of thieves. It's been like a game of whack-a-mole for him. They are running the gamut from financial to, to medical to government identity theft. It's really a tragedy. And this is a man that is very, very smart, has resources, and he is still completely overwhelmed with this problem. It only takes us making one mistake or one misstep because the thieves are always sitting there waiting. So we have to reduce our risk surface yeah. area. And one of the best ways he could have done that was by taking those backups and treating them differently, storing them in a lockbox or a safe in his home or something like that rather than just alongside in his briefcase that he carried with him. That's a great example. And it's so important to change that mindset of, of what your data means, you know, and what it really is. I think that's an important way to look at it is, is change the way you see it and look at it as the currency that it is. That is part of our mission. That has been our, our vision as part of our strategic plan has been we absolutely have to help people to elevate their appreciation of the importance and value of their identity credentials and their data so that they will protect it and, and just be more cautious with it. And unfortunately, half measures really don't help in the landscape that we're in. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I'm so pleased to be here, and I, I, uh, I never like to end on a negative note. I just want to close with as challenging as this space is and with all of the problems, there are resources for people, and I, we don't want people to think that they have to go it alone. Reach out 
and, and avail yourself of those resources. There is the Identity Theft Resource Center. We are available um, at our, our toll-free call center. We've got the app. You can visit our website. The Federal Trade Commission has a lot of free resources. And many people might actually have some resources in their back pocket that they're not even thinking about. You could have identity protection remediation services available to you, like as a writer on your insurance policy, um, as an employee benefit through your employer, even as a membership benefit to a trade organization. If you run into this problem, don't think you have to go it alone. Seek the professional assistance and get some help so that you can take care of it much faster and without as much trauma. And tell us your website. It's ID, so it's India David, theft, T-H-E-F-T, center, C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you again to Eva, and thank you all for listening. This is a special podcast that we wanted to post during International Fraud Awareness Week. You can find more about Fraud Week and how you can still get involved at www.fraudweek.com. Be sure to find all of our podcasts on Google Play or wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Fraud Week, and we will talk to you next month.